Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know, it is my absolute pleasure to find guests for you each week that are gonna add value either to you personally or to your career development. Today is no different. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Steve Zipkoff, CEO of Zipkoff Solutions, author of the seven stages of successful unemployment, from hell to hallelujah, and over 40 years of retail marketing experience. Steve has created well-known marketing initiatives such as the well-known dollar menu for KFC, Taco Bell, La Madeline, Burger King, and he also worked with Sears. He is currently an instructor at SMU Cox Graduate School of Business. Steve is a highly sought after, internationally known keynote and educational session speaker who provides a unique blend of educational lessons entertaining anecdotal stories and motivational inspiration applicable, I can talk, I promise, to any business environment to achieve immediate growth and business culture rejuvenation. I am super excited to welcome you to the show today, Steve. Thank you. I have to meet that guy. I really enjoy (laughs) that. (laughs) It's really interesting. You know, I've got to do um, a speaking engagement here coming up and I was looking at my bio and it's so bland and I've always been told somebody else should write your bio. Mm. Is that true? Yes. Although I did write mine. Did you? But <laughs> yeah. that's not the one you wrote. Well, I have a degree in journalism. So oh. I figured as long as I have a degree in journalism, I might as well write my own story. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I've been thinking about trying to ask somebody to write my story for me. I'm more than willing to Are do it. Are you going to do it? Absolutely. Oh, wow. That would be awesome. <laughs> Get the great Steve Zipkoff to write it. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I would. thank you. I get to do that. <laughs> So one of the first questions I start off the show with is because I do believe networking is critical in all parts of life, not just in careers, but in personal too, because I mean, how do we meet friends? We network. Yes. Right? Yes. So how did we get connected? Well, many years ago, I spoke at Success North Dallas and there was a gentleman there, Bill Wallace, who was the founder of Success Mm -hmm. North Dallas and Jan Clodner. Jan and I met many, many, many years ago and he introduced me to you. And here I am today after many, many years. Jan still and I, you know, we're still friends. We literally live about a mile from each other. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, we live about a mile from each other. And he's my IT guy. (laughs) You know, many people don't know that about Jan. You know, and I just wanna give a quick shout out because we talk about Success North Dallas on the show a lot. We had Bill Wallace on here a couple of episodes ago talking about succession planning. But Jan kind of stays in the shadows. And so Jan Claudner has been with Bill. Jan is a a guy. A lot of people are like, Mrs. Claudner. I'm like, no, that's that's his wife, Marsha. That's true. But Jan, you know, stood beside Bill from like the first six months on. And the organization's been going on for over 34 years. Oh, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, when they used to meet at the Landmark Building many, many years ago, when there were only like 20 people, I was one of those 20. Wow, yeah. that is so impressive. Long, and today we have ago. anywhere between 150 to 200 people attending. Yeah, there were about 20 
of us initially. That's so incredible. Well, you know, and I'm I feel so. Old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but it's such a legacy, and I'm just so honored that you know Bill and Jan decided that I was the one to continue that legacy for them, and I'm just we're just having so much fun, you know, doing that. It's developed into one of the best networking places you can go to meet people in business who can help you succeed in life. Absolutely. So what I'd like for you to do now is tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, why are you sitting here with me today? And <laughs> you know, what, how did you get to where you are today? Because you didn't start out as a motivational speaker. So oh, kind no. of walk us through your journey. Uh, I, I came from an extremely poor family. Uh, my mother was a factory worker. My father was a painter in the Cabrini Green housing projects in mm. Chicago. The one thing they believed in was education. So I ended up going to the University of Illinois. I have a bachelor's degree in marketing with a double minor in economics and psychology. And then I have a master's degree in advertising journalism. You're one of those scary people. You got that psychology thing going on. Well, I try. <laughs> well when you're in marketing, it pays to understand oh, consumer sure. behavior. Yeah. So anyway, I, after I graduated, I was living in Chicago where I was born. I got a, a, a job with a top 10 advertising agency. And then from there, not everybody likes what I do, but I felt if you change jobs all the time, you would increase your salary more than if you stayed with one company all the time and just got a two or 3% increase. Well, and let's stop on that real quick because that's, you know, back in the day, you were expected to start with a company, finish with a company, get your pension and go home. Yes. And today it's not like that at all. So you were very forward thinking at that time. Well, I, I thought I was. After I left the advertising agency, Sears hired me mm -hmm. and my parents were happier than I was because back then Sears was the world's largest store sure. and they thought that I would retire a multimillionaire. After five years, I quit so I can go work for Kentucky Fried Chicken in Louisville. <sighs> And then from Louisville, I went to Burger King and Taco Bell. I can't believe it's yogurt. And each time it was uh, one of the chief marketing mm -hmm. officers there. My salary increased quite a bit. And then I ended up working for a Chinese fast food restaurant called Quick Walk. They ended up in bankruptcy. And I thought it's time for me to decide a couple of things. So I had two children in college. And I came home one day and I told my wife I had just quit my job. And after the paramedics revived her, <laughs> she asked one question, what are you gonna do with your life when you grow up? And I said, I'm taking six months off to do two things. I'm gonna write a book, which I did, The Seven Stages of Successful Unemployment. And I answered the question, what do I wanna do with my life when I grow up? I was in my 40s when I answered that question. I don't think that's that unusual to be in your 40s and answer that question. Well, I, I thought it was. Really? Yeah, but anyway, what, what happened was I knew I couldn't work for anybody else. Gotcha. So I started Zipcoff Solutions as a management consulting firm. It was very successful, and then I had written the book, but it took me 10 years to get it published. I didn't want to self-publish. Oh. So once I got it published, I said, you know what? I think I could become a motivational speaker. And I've been doing that since 2004. I love that. I mean, there's so much there. But, you know, one thing that I want to kind of unpack is the stick to 
I mean, 10 years is a long time to pursue a dream without yeah. having it happen. If you want to get depressed, go write a book and try and get it published. <laughs> this is very true. I've had more publishers say, we like the book, but see, we don't publish those kinds of books. Mm. So I just kept going and kept going. And I met a guy in Chicago. Networking. Who was in advertising when I was in advertising. Okay. And he and I hit it off. And he said, I'm not going to publish your book because I only publish advertising textbooks for universities. And this isn't an advertising textbook. I met him at lunch and I swear to good, this is a true story. I took a knife and I looked at him and I said, if you don't publish this book, you're not leaving this restaurant alive. That's kind of scary. And he said, oh, okay, I'll publish the book. And he did. And it was Don't very try successful. Oh, man, do not try this at home. It was very successful. And he was happy and I was happy and we moved along. We still talk. Okay, that's good. Oh, you yeah, still talk. Still he won't talk. be alone in a room with oh, you. But... No, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, I have to go through a metal detector every time I see him. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I just want to kind of highlight something that I brought out in the introduction. So is it true? that the dollar value menu was your brainchild. Yes, it was. Where did you launch that first? Well, it was first launched at Taco Bell. What happened, I was the head of marketing for the Southwest region. Uh, we had a city, Oklahoma City, that was horribly underperforming. Mm -hmm. My boss said, fix it. So I went up to Oklahoma City with an operations guy. We did a lot of research. We found out we had no value proposition. Mm. So I took three of our best-selling items, bean burritos, pintos and cheese, and tacos. Tacos. And I cut the price to 35 cents each. And I called it the late night value menu. And we advertised it on late night radio and outdoor billboards. And in Three months, June, July, and August of 1984, sales were up 45 percentage points and profit was up 22 percentage points. Wow. And they rolled it out and became a very, very big success. And now everybody has one. Everybody now has a value menu. They should have like a little Steve Zipkoff well, on the menus. They didn't give me credit for it because back then, you know, executives needed to get all the credit. Aww. But I didn't care. I knew I did it. Uh, and no one's ever questioned the fact that I did yeah. it. And so I did the value menu. And I don't know for older audiences, they might remember we do chicken right. I remember that. Kentucky Fried Chicken. I just think I just I'm the guy myself. who developed that. Okay. So I had a couple of world-renowned successes. You got some creds. I do have some creds. That's awesome. And so after I did all that, I then finally decided to open up my own firm. Well, I think it was about time. So I want to talk about your book for a second. Sure. So your book, The Seven Stages of Successful Unemployment, yep. From Hell to Hallelujah. It's the only time I get to cuss on the show, so i got to say it several <laughs> times. Um, <laughs> it assures people that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that when they're unemployed. So can you kind of walk us through the seven stages? Absolutely. First of all, the reason I wrote the book was sort of like a catharsic for mm -hmm. me. Uh, I had been laid off. I had been downsized. I had been right-sized. I had been fired. And I know there are a lot of other people who have done that. So I decided to write a book, a lighthearted, humorous book okay. about being unemployed and how you can go through the process and still have fun. So I developed these seven stages. The first stage is you have to put up a positive front. Uh, amen. 
you, you have to be positive yeah. in your life. If you go around thinking, oh, woe is me, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, guess what? You're never going to get hired. People don't hire negative people. That's right. So you have to put up that positive front, especially in an interview. And what I say to people who go into interviews, you've got to make the interviewer at least giggle. Oh, you must make them laugh. If you go in there and you can make them laugh, they know that there's no pressure on you to get that job. And that's really, really important. The minute you go into an interview and they feel panic, you're done. You're through. You're toast. Yeah. As a recruiter, you should, you know, yeah, you know that. You know, and to that point, one of the things that I, when I'm coaching my candidates, especially those that have been in transition for an extended period of time, you know, the one thing I tell them, I'm like, you need to go look in a mirror. You need to smile at yourself. You need to laugh out loud. Fake laugh. It releases the same endorphins because desperate doesn't sell. And if Absolutely. you go in looking desperate, you are not going to get that job and your transition is just going to be longer. Yes. You'll never get a job if you think you have to have that job. Exactly. So remember, you're the asset, mm -hmm. not the company. You're the asset. If you go in there thinking you're the asset, you have a greater chance of getting the job than if you go thinking that they're the asset. You need them. No, they need you. So have that positive front. Stage two, accept the fact that you're unemployed. Mm. That seems so simple. Yeah, it seems so simple, but it really isn't. Yeah. People don't like to admit negative things are happening to them. And you have to admit the fact, I'm unemployed. I know I'm unemployed. I accept the fact that I'm unemployed. Now let's do something about it. And that's not an easy thing to do, but you have to take a step back and realize that unless you do that, you're never going to move to stage three. It kind of almost sounds like the stages of grief. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Maybe it, a little well, bit. you know, when you lose a job, it's like you're dying. Yeah, yeah. So you have to accept it and move on. Okay, what's three? Develop a resume. Now, I'm fascinated by this because resume and resume are spelled the same way. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at it is a resume for you to resume your career. Oh, that is an interesting <laughs> little slide on words. I like that. And so what you have to do is you have to be honest. A resume is one of the few documents where you can brag. Yes. And not feel badly about it. And they want you to brag. They want you to brag. My resume was never over two pages. Even though I went through so many stages, mm -hmm. it was never more than two pages. You have to be succinct. But remember, a resume is just a way for you to resume your career. Ugh, love that. S stage four, don't forget to get your unemployment benefits. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No that's... matter what you think, you need it. You yes. have to get your benefits. Now, back when I wrote the book, you had to literally go into the unemployment office. You had to fill out the yep. forms. You had to do everything in person. Now almost everything is online. Yep. So it's much, much easier to do. But don't forget, hey, you're unemployed, whether you have uh, you know, additional revenue coming in from a, a separation package, you still need yes. to have your benefits. 
So make sure that's one of your priorities. Get your unemployment benefits. Now, one thing I want to bring up on that just real quick, if I'm remembering correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, something else you want to plan for is they don't take taxes out of your unemployment check. So you're responsible for those taxes Absolutely. at the end of the year. So you definitely want to plan for that as well. And you want to put some aside. Uh, I have a thing called life lessons. Mm -hmm. My first life lesson is you can survive a setback if you never live above your means. True. So being unemployed is a way to be below your means. You have to figure out a way to live below those means. Yes. Stage five, create a plan. Mm. Just don't go out helter-skelter into the night and think you're going to get something. Determine where you want to go. Determine what companies you want to work for. Determine the people you need to talk to, networking, yep. who can get you where you need to go. So that plan is critical. And believe me, take the time to do it. People just run, oh, I got to get a job. That's where the panic comes in. Yep. You don't need to get the job the first day. Take your time. Decide what you want to do. I was in food service for years. I finally decided I didn't want to be in food service any longer. So I tried to get out of food service. Everybody pushed me back mm -hmm. in. Steve, we're sorry, but you don't know anything but food service marketing. I said, wait a minute. I have a degree in marketing doesn't say food service marketing. It says marketing. I could market anything. So my biggest concern with interviewing and stuff like that is the fact that people look at experience more than they look at the discipline. And when I'm talking, I'm talking about industry experience. I know exactly what you're talking about because I have this conversation with candidates almost daily about because when my clients come to me and, and I'm so glad you brought this up and this is unfortunate, but sometimes you can't get around it. You know, like if I have somebody that's a home builder, they want somebody only with construction experience. But if I have somebody that's been in financial services for 15 years and they want to switch to construction, it's almost impossible. Impossible. I call it pigeonholing. It's exactly what it is. And it's it, it's a thing that's very difficult to get out of. It is. The only way I was able to get out of fast food marketing, I started my own company and I refused food business <laughs> until the Madeline came along. They paid me a lot of money. I said, okay, maybe I can do that. But you have to create that plan. The stage six is making it happen. If you're going to sit home and look at your computer and think you're going to get a job that way, it's never going to happen. You've got to go out and network. You've got to tell people you're unemployed. See, that's another thing that people are afraid to do. They're afraid to say that they're unemployed. Oh, yeah, because they're embarrassed. As far as I'm concerned, tell everybody yes. you're unemployed. My goodness, when I got unemployed, I let everybody know because I was proud of it. Really? I, I was proud of the fact that I was unemployed because I knew everybody else was too. It's just a matter of time before you really do become unemployed. It's just a matter of time. I tell people all the time, you haven't been fired, you haven't lived. <laughs> I've been fired and laid off and downsized. and I've, you know, Every time I lost a job, I took my family on a two-week vacation. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> you know, I've been fired. I don't know anybody who hasn't. Really? I, don't I, I feel like anyone. I know a lot, of, or maybe a lot of people that have never admitted it. There, now, there you go. That's yeah, another thing. They spin it, right? Sure, but you've got to make it happen. And finally, stage seven. Stage seven. Hallelujah. Ha 
Stage seven is hallelujah. That's when someone offers you the job. Folks, when they offer it to you, take it. Don't sit around and hem and haw. Don't sit around and think you can get more. Take it because you could then, if it's below what you think you should have, take the job and continue to look. And I know people say, Steve, how can you possibly say that? Yeah, I'm going to have to maybe disagree with well, that. But. <laughs> that's okay. You know, you could disagree with that. Yeah. But you, you got to get back on the bicycle. And, and I, I will agree on one level with that because it is easier to get a job when you have a job. Yes. So, Absolutely. And so for that, I agree. But I really do try to encourage people from my point of perspective to really make sure it's the job you want to. Oh, I understand that. And, and, and I don't disagree with that. But if you are taking a long time yes. and now the panic really starts to set in and your husband or your wife or your mate says, come on now, it's time. Let's get going. You have to make a decision. You have to decide whether you want to take a job that might be lower than what you yeah. wanted. I, I agree with it from that angle. And, you know, and I'm glad that you brought up about, you know, the significant other influence in that, because I deal with that a lot with my candidates, especially the ones that have been in transition a little bit longer. And, you know, and I can hear it because, you know, I, I build a pretty good rapport with my candidates and I can just hear the tension in their voices when they're telling me, well, my wife has really beaten me up about not having another job yet. And I'm like, it's been two days, you know, come on, you know? And so I just really, I feel like there's some lessons here for the significant others, not to put so much pressure on the person that's in transition because that just makes it worse. Yes, I was very fortunate. I married a woman, uh, she passed away uh, five and a half years ago, but she was my biggest supporter and she said, you take the time to do what you need to. She was a teacher. She, she taught special education. Oh, my mom so was a special education. at least we had income coming in. And she said, you take the time you need. If you're in marketing or in training, there's a good chance you're going to be out of a job. Yeah. When things go bad, they look at training and marketing first. Exactly. I knew that when I got my degree in marketing. My wife knew that. So she was a big supporter of mine. And she, she never got on my case, how come you're not you know, working it? You do what you need to do to get what you want. Well, I hope the significant others out there that are listening to this and hearing, you know, maybe have someone who is going through this transition, don't make the matters worse. Be supportive and help them to get through this stage of their life because they will get through it. And but by the way, your significant other could be a person who you network with because they know people who might not be in your sphere of influence. Very like true. my wife was a teacher. She didn't know anything about business, but she knew that her teacher friends had husbands or wives who were in the business. Always be looking. Always look. Absolutely. Search, search, search. Yes. And and open yourself up to those opportunities because you never know where they're going to come from. They, they, you know, I mean, I'm not going to tell the story of how I got to VIP, but it was truly one of those domino effects that got me here. And I'm so grateful that I'm with this company today. I just had my five-year anniversary, by the way. I'm so excited to say that. So one of the, if I may, yeah. one of the things I have these six life lessons and my life lesson number six is opportunities come in the strangest guises. Ooh. You never know who you're talking to, who you're sitting next to, who might be your greatest opportunity. 
And I go in, I, mean, I won't get into it here, but that is how literally Zipkoff Solutions got started. I met someone in the lobby of an original pancake house. That's how I started my business. You know, I love that. And I just want to tell a quick story here too, because, I, and that's so true. You never know who you're sitting next to. And just out very quickly, I was on a plane and back in the day, I used to be super afraid of flying <laughs> and I was flying by myself. And there was a guy sitting next to me and I was like, look, if I grab you during this flight, I'm not coming on to you. Okay. I get really scared at the slightest turbulence and I cling, yeah. you know? And so, so he's like, and he turned around and he looked at me and he goes, well, then you know what? I'll just tell you a story the whole time. And you won't even think about the turbulence. Best flight of my life. And I'm telling you, I cried. We talked. The man is my best friend today. But do you know who that man was? I have no idea. The Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. There was one eyewitness. Oh, my I God. I was sitting next to him on that <gasps> plane. Oh, wow. And he told me the story. My goodness. Of that day. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was sitting next to a guy from, I was flying from Nashville to Dallas, and I don't remember how I got to Nashville, and he was a manager at Deloitte and & Touche, and he and I teamed up together to provide seminars on strategic planning. So you never know who yeah. you're going to be sitting next to, standing next to, talking to, lying at a beach. Folks, be open. I know there yep. are a lot of people out there who are introverts. Be an extrovert if you can. Pretend. Me. It's the best thing you can do. I, well, I've never been an introvert. Me either. So I wouldn't know how to start. <laughs> but I got my sense of humor from my mother. My mother was a hilarious person. And that helped me get through all the difficulties that I had over the years when I was working. So we are almost out of time, but I have one more question I want to ask you before we get to our VIP questions. And I'm very curious because you teach a course at SMU um, called Delivering Customer Delights. Yes. What in the world is this course about? Well, every company needs to delight their customers. Most people look at, and you've heard it many times, customer satisfaction. Yes. Satisfaction in today's environment isn't good enough. Then they talk about, well, we have to have customer loyalty. The problem with customer loyalty, which is the definition of the state of being faithful, how many people are loyal to companies when they are member of competing company loyalty plans? Like in the, in the airline industry, yes. I'm a member of five different loyalty plans. How could I be loyal if I'm a member of five? That's like being married to five different women. That's nuts. That's awesome. <laughs> the definition of delight means to deliver great pleasure. And the course that I teach at SMU teaches people how to deliver great pleasure. It's through the Business Leadership Center, through the Cox Graduate School of Business. It's only for MBA students. Ooh, maybe I could audit that class. I've been teaching it for over 20 years. Wow. And I've been fortunate enough to earn 46 Teaching Excellence Awards. That, that is impressive. voted on by the students. That is impressive. Okay, so, we're going to have to set it up so I can audit that class because that sure seems like something I would be very, very interested in. Okay, I am not going to be able to ask you all my questions I wanted to ask you. We are almost out of time, but I definitely want to ask you our VIP questions. Go so ahead. are you ready? Yes. This is where we get to learn a little bit about how you think. Okay. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Okay, taking water out of it. 
because you have to have water. The three people, and this is going to shock most people. Okay. My mother, my wife, and my mother-in-law. Oh, I like that. My mother, because she gave me a sense of humor. And even though we were poor, we never lacked for anything. She was the, the staple behind our family. My father was the worker. My mother was the staple behind my family. My wife, she, I was married to her for 50 years. In 2000, That's she, incredible, be, by the she way. became paralyzed. Mm. And she was in a wheelchair from 2000 until she passed in 2017. She taught me perseverance. Mm. My mother-in-law escaped Nazi Germany. Wow. And she taught me reliability and to be kind to other people. So that's why those are the three people I would have on my planet. I love that. I love that. No religious people, no famous people, just the people who influenced my life the most. That's incredible. My mother-in-law was also one of my dearest friends before she passed away. Like, and, and I met her when I was 13. So we mother, transitioned from childhood to adulthood together. It was a really weird. <laughs> my mother-in-law and father-in-law and my parents were friends before my wife and I were even married. Oh, I mean, no. born. Oh, wow. But it was not an arranged marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was, they did a good <laughs> they job. They did a good job, yes, that's true. So what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Well, again, something very weird. I get up and check to see if I have a pulse. That's not weird. <laughs> and then I just thank God that I have one. Gratitude. Yeah. That's so important. So important. All right. So if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Steve likes to deliver delight. Of course. Of course That's it would. That's it. How do people get in touch with you? Because I know they're going to want to follow you. They're going to probably want to learn more about your book. My website is Zipcon at, oh, my website is Zipkoff Solutions, www.zipkoffsolutions.com. And my email address is Zipcon, Z-I-P-C-O-N at flash.net. Flash.net. Okay. It's an old one. Sounds like oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've had it for a long, long time. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful to Jan Claudner for introducing us and connecting us. I feel like I've made a lifelong friend here. You have. And I would just like to say one more thing to you. You are a VIP. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the kindness that you've provided for me. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.